Well, we've been going through, speaking of Bible stories, uh, we've been going through the holy history because these stories are not just stories, they're history, right? Uh, that's what C.S. Lewis was a, a big fan of mythology. Um, he saw a lot of value in mythology. C.S. Lewis's good friend, J.R.R. Tolkien, um, the author of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, uh, was also a big fan of mythology. In fact, Tolkien, if you've ever read, how many of you have ever read Lord of the Rings? He created a whole mythology. Uh, he created languages for these people. Uh, you know, it was amazing. Um, but they saw the value in mythology as it teaches people uh, about the world, about life. Uh, you know, it's not just a matter of saying, well, the Greek gods didn't exist, so that's all a bunch of nonsense. Uh, this is kind of the way that they told each other stories and helped each other to uh, negotiate through this uh, crazy world that we're living in. Well, C.S. Lewis liked to call Christianity true myth, right? It is mythological in scope. That is the story that we're telling is mythological in scope. And in fact, there are some incredible miracles supernatural things that happen that if you're not a believer uh, you know, in, in an almighty God who created the universe can make you scratch your head and say, well, I don't know about that. Crossing the Red Sea on dry ground? Hmm, not real sure about that. Feeding thousands of people in the desert for 40 years uh, you know, out of literally thin air? Yeah, that sounds kind of weird to me. You can go through the whole Bible and question every miracle, or you can realize that this is the God who spoke the universe into existence out of his own resources, right? So there was no matter, there was no energy, there was no time, and suddenly, bang, it all came into existence. Oh, by the way, that's also science, right? A scientist can't tell you what happened before that. It's only sheer speculation. But we know that this is an almighty God who the scripture says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So it's not difficult for me to believe that God used these people like Moses um, to be the conduit for these amazing miracles. Um, so as we look at the holy history, that is God's interaction and intervention in human history through Israel, we've seen that uh, Joseph brought the people, uh, his own family, 70 people in total, into Egypt to get under the protection and to receive provision from Pharaoh. But you know, years passed, and soon those who were depending upon Pharaoh for their provision and protection became slaves to the Egyptian government. And they cried out in their slavery. And so God raised up a deliverer, Moses, whom he performed many miracles through, the, the ten plagues, the greatest of which, the most powerful of which, um, was the, the death of the firstborn. The death angel came in and took the firstborn of every, uh, every family in Egypt and, and indeed every uh, flock and herd lost their firstborn as well. But the people of Israel were saved because they were told to trust the Lord and slay a lamb that they were gonna cook and eat that night and put the blood on the lintel and doorposts of their house and then the death angel would pass over. That's why it's called Passover. So that caused Pharaoh to immediately expel them from Egypt. So here is this wandering mass of 600 divisions. Uh, most of your scripture will, or your translations will say 600,000, but the word that's translated thousand just means these were military divisions. So we don't know how many people that was, but it's a huge number of people that immediately were expelled from Egypt. 
First thing that they faced, of course, was the Red Sea or the Sea of Reeds. And the Egyptians by that point had changed their mind. Pharaoh was leading chariots to bring these slaves back. And they're standing there in front of the, the Sea of Reeds, not knowing what to do. They cry out and God says, fear not, stand firm and you will see the salvation of your God. For the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. And then he says, be still or be quiet, be silent. The Lord will fight for you. Moses stretched out his uh, staff over the, the sea and the Lord says uh, in the scripture, it says exactly what happened. A strong wind blew all night and created this pathway through the sea. So these are these amazing miracles that these people had seen. And yet, as we have observed, um, whenever they encountered trouble, their, their trust, if they had any at all, their faith certainly immediately waned. Uh, you know, in fact, they started accusing God. Initially, their, their trust just wavered. You know, they, they, they found uh, water, but the water was bitter. And so, uh, you know, they complained and they grumbled. And, you know, Moses was given the wisdom, whether this was supernatural or not, we don't know, to, to throw this, this tree into the water and it sweetened the water. And then they were given a, an oasis where they could spend some time. But then they were a month out uh, of Egypt and they ran out of water and they were running out of food and they were complaining and they were grumbling and now they were starting to accuse Moses and accuse God of not being good people, not being caring. Well, I don't know if you've observed this or not in your life, I certainly have. Uh, I'm gonna make multiple applications to this story today, but the first thing I thought that I would bring to you is that life is not fair, is it? But God is, amen? So, you know, I don't know if you have encountered any uh, challenges recently. I think all of us have gone through a variety of challenges over the last several years. But, you know, what I'm struck with is that I don't think everybody uh, in Israel was equally untrusting or equally grumbling or equally complaining. Surely there were some people that were believers. In fact, we know of at least two in the story last week, Joshua and Caleb, who were trusting and were willing to do what God wanted. But you know, sometimes you end up having to deal with the consequences of other people's foolish actions, right? This is especially true in family situations, isn't it? Right? You may not be making bad choices, but somebody else in your family is making bad choices, and it's having some uh, negative consequences in your life. Life's not fair, but trust in this good and loving God that is. So all throughout their time in the wilderness, God supplied for them. He supplied food, and he supplied water, um, all the way up until the point where they finally entered the land of promise. Now, last week we saw that God shepherded them to Mount Sinai through Moses, and then from Mount Sinai right to the edge of the promised land, they sent spies into the promised land to see what it was like. And the spies came back and said, oh, it's an amazing land, but there's some really scary people there, and the cities are fortified, and there is no way we can take this land. Well, this is something that God had promised going back to their ancestor Abraham, which was 500 years before God had made the promise that he was going to give this land to them. But how many of you realize that when God says he's going to give you something, that doesn't mean that you don't need to do anything, right? Even when you're exercising faith, that doesn't mean that you don't do anything. You just sit around and wait for checks to arrive in the mail, right? Faith works, amen? 
In fact, uh, James, the half-brother of Jesus, said, faith without works is dead. Faith will result in hard work. It will result in good work. Faith is going to motivate you to get out there and do something. Well, these people didn't have faith, and so I, I think this ties it together, Pastor Craig, with what you guys looked at the, uh, this week at camp. They were not bold, and they were not brave. But faith inspires you. See, I'm glad that you're, you're, uh, the teacher there uh, indicated that trust was an essential part of being bold and being brave. And he was looking at Elijah's life, and certainly that is the case. Um, because faith will give you courage. And having courage doesn't mean that, you know, you're darn the torpedoes and full speed ahead, right? There are people that are foolish and presumptuous and don't care about their lives who will endanger themselves. That's not courage, right? Sometimes people that are young have a tendency to believe that they are invulnerable because they just haven't been hurt enough yet. And they'll do crazy stuff, crazy stunts. This is why young men often uh, like to buy motorcycles that go ridiculously fast. And this is also why emergency room nurses call those motorcycles donor bikes. Because when those young men take those vehicles and go incredibly fast, oftentimes they wreck and they hurt themselves. And if they die and they're young, they donate their organs. Well, you know, that's a tragedy. That's terrible. That's horrible. But it just shows you that it's not always courage that causes you to do dumb stuff that appears to be bold, right? Courage is being willing to go into a situation and fight when you know that there are risks and when you know that there is danger, but you believe that that fight is worthy, you believe that there will be a good outcome, even if that outcome is not for you personally, there are plenty of people that fought for this country in World War II that died. And there are plenty of those young men who went and fought in World War II who realized that they would not come back, but they were fighting for you and me, amen? That's why you're able to sit here free today, and that's why we should celebrate this country. You know, we're talking about the, the land of promise here. Uh, this country looks like the land of promise to many other people in the world. Did you know that? Now, I know there's lots and lots of, of talk today about immigration and illegal immigration, but there are plenty of people in this country that don't seem to love this country anymore. They don't even like this country anymore. And I'm gonna tell you something. If you don't like this country, there's 10 people that will take your spot right now because this is the land of promise this is the land of opportunity and god has given it to us and we need to hang on to it amen now you say well what do i do about that you need to vote better amen you need to look at the consequences of your actions all of us do and we need to vote better because we do we have the freedom to do that at least for now but realize there are certain people that you can bring into power that you won't be able to get out right there are certain people that you vote in and you have to shoot out. I don't mean assassinate. I mean, it, you know, it's kind of like wars happen, insurrection happens, these sorts of things. If you think I'm coming down on one side or the other politically, you'd be wrong. I'm looking at outcomes here. And I'm saying that this is a great country to the degree that there are people that are willing to take tremendous risks to come into this country. Do you realize that last, I think it was last week, last week or week before last, there was a tractor trailer truck with 50 immigrants in it who all died. Now, if you're shaking your finger and you're saying, well, you know, they deserved it, you have a heart problem. If you think those were all just drug dealers who were coming into this country, they're not the ones in the back of a semi. These are people who are coming into this country 
And granted, it's not legal, and I want people to come in legally, and I want there to be uh, you know, a, a smooth process for those people that are willing to come, and they're willing to work, and they're willing to pay taxes and do all of those sorts of things. But here are people that are willing to risk their lives, and they end up dying because they want to get to this great country. You and I need to be appreciative of what God has given us, amen? And we need to be open-armed and welcoming rather than rejecting people that are coming over here. It's not my job to enforce immigration. It is my job to love people. Amen? Amen. All right? So um, this is kind of like the land of promise for us, certainly. But the ultimate promised land for all of us is heaven. Amen? Okay, because even though we have this great country, we still have our own challenges, don't we? Right? We still have difficulties. I probably could, you know, spend the rest of the time having people come up here and give your testimonies about challenges that you're facing in your life. Because life is not fair and the world is not perfect. This is not heaven, but heaven is coming. Amen? Make sure that you secure your spot. And that's only going to happen through Jesus. Jesus is the only one handing out tickets because he's the only one that gave his life to buy those tickets. Amen? So that's what you and I need to put our trust and faith in is this good and loving God. And that's going to make us courageous. So the people were not courageous. They were not bold. They were scared and they began to shake their fists and accuse God of bringing them there to that land to die by the hand of these uh, people that were in the land, to die via warfare. And so God finally stepped up and said, all right, that's fine you don't get to go in and take the land. But your children are going to. Well, see, here's where I come to the, back to the point where life is not fair. Those kids, in Scripture it says they weren't even old enough to know right from wrong yet. They hadn't done anything, but yet they had to wander in that wilderness for 40 years because that's what God said. You're going to be in this wilderness for 40 years until all of the soldiers who refused to fight this battle die. And then your children, who you accuse me of bringing out here into this wilderness to die or bringing into that land to be slaughtered, they're going to take the land. Well, that's exactly what happened. So we get to the place in the story now where we've hopped over from Numbers to Deuteronomy. And we come to the end of that time period of wandering in the wilderness, the end of 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And Moses is recounting what took place with the people. And he's reiterating in Deuteronomy what God expects of them. So here's a brief passage from Deuteronomy chapter 2. Moses, again, is recounting what happened with them. Then we turned and set out for the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. This is right after they had rejected God's offer to take the promised land. Which, by the way, they wept all night after God told Moses they're not going to take the promised land because they've rejected me. And you know what they did the very next morning? They all suited up, got ready, were armed, and they were going to go to battle. And Moses said, no, God is not with you. Don't go into battle or you're going to lose. But see, they were willful, self-willed people. They didn't trust God. They believed in themselves. And so... They went into battle, and sure enough, they got defeated. They got turned around, and then they went back, and now this is what happens. They set out for the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. So they go all the way back to the Red Sea, right? There, there's a, a place called the Gulf of Aqaba, and this is probably where they went. As the Lord spoke to me, and we circled Mount Seir for many days. So Mount Seir is the center uh, of Edom, okay, or Esau. You remember the... Uh, 
you have Abraham and then you have Isaac, right? And who was Isaac's brother? No, you have Jacob. Who was Jacob's brother? Esau, right? Isaac did have a brother, his name was Ishmael. That's a whole nother story. It's a half brother, right? Jacob and Esau. So Jacob is the son through which the line of Israel comes. His name was changed to Israel. Esau was also given land by God. And the land that he was given is Mount Seir. They were not, that is the Israelites, were not told that they were permitted to fight and take that land. But they basically circled Mount Seir for years and years and years. Can you imagine this? Just traveling in circles. You ever feel like that? You ever feel like your life is like that? Oh, we're back here again. We're traveling in circles, you know? We're lost. We've, we've seen this. I've seen this terrain before. This has happened before. I was almost going to play a video that I made a couple of years ago uh, today because this is actually the anniversary of our church tomorrow as well. And I have this video, and it's got all of these pictures. It's a montage, you know, like a, a slideshow type of a thing. And it's got all these pictures. And as I was watching those, those people in, in, in that video, I was like, oh, yeah, we've done, we've done this before. We've been circling for a while, <laughs> all right? Circling, 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 all right? And so that's what was going on with these guys. And then um, Moses says in verse 2 of chapter 2 of Deuteronomy, and the Lord spoke to me saying, you have circled this mountain long enough. Now turn north. Amen. Amen? We have circled this mountain long enough. <laughs> it's time to go and take the land that the Lord has offered us. Amen? It really is. It's time. So at that point, they stopped circling in the desert and they started heading north toward the promised land. This time they were on the other side uh, in the Transjordan area is what it's called. If you don't have a map in your mind, this is not going to make any sense to you. But it's a region called the Arabah. And they started traveling there. They went through Edom, which is where the, the descendants of Esau were. They went through Moab. And then after all of the previous soldiers had died, their sons... Uh, because uh, their daughters didn't fight in the war at this point. Um, they do today in Israel. But their sons fought and took territory on the other side, that is the east side of the Jordan River. This is while Moses was still alive. So they had begun to do, finally, what God had called them to do. Now Moses had gotten so frustrated with Israel uh, on numerous occasions. He always prayed for them, but he'd gotten so frustrated with them at one point in time that he got himself in sideways with God. He got in trouble with God, right? They were out of water again. This is down by Kedesh Barnea, which is uh, the, the south of the Dead Sea, south of the Promised Land proper. And uh, he's down there, and God says, okay, so I want you to go to this rock. And he'd done this before by Mount Sinai, and by Mount Sinai, God told Moses to strike the rock with his staff and water would flow out. So Moses did that. Now, they're out of water again. So Moses is told by God, I want you to speak to the rock. That's weird, isn't it? Speak to the rock, okay? Well, Moses is listening to God and he's trusting, but he's frustrated. And he starts getting a bit on the selfish side. So it says that Moses stood there by the rock and he said to the people, 
Shall we bring water from this rock for you rebels? That doesn't sound like it's giving God glory at all, does it? And then he struck the rock once. Oops, nothing happened. And he struck the rock again. And God was like, well, they need water. So water flowed out. But at that point, God said, you didn't honor me before these people. So you don't get to go in and take the promised land. Man, talk about life not being fair, right? And so Moses wandered with them and led them for 40 years. He did get to lead them into these initial uh, successes in battle. But then Moses died. Um, he went up on a mountain and died. And the scripture says that, um, that God buried him. Um, but what I want you to see is that all during the time that the people were wandering in that wilderness, even though they were rebellious, even though they were under punishment from God, listen to what it says in verse 7 of Deuteronomy. For the Lord your God, Yahweh your God, has blessed you in all that you have done he has known your wandering through this great wilderness these 40 years. The Lord your God has been with you. You have not lacked anything. In another passage, it says that their shoes didn't even wear out. So even though they were under discipline from God, God was still providing for them. He still loved them. Hey, when you punish your children, do you still love them? In fact, I'm going to venture to say if you don't punish your children, you really don't love them. I said, well, that's your opinion, preacher. No, you need to read Hebrews chapter 12, right? God disciplines every son that he receives. In fact, that scripture says, and those that are not disciplined are illegitimate children. They're not true children of God. You're going to be disciplined if God is in you and with you and working in your life because he's seeking to shape you and mold you and make you more like Jesus, Right? So these people who wandered for 40 years finally began to take the land. Well, Moses passes away, and he, before he does, he passes on his authority to a man named Joshua. And uh, if the Lord continues to lead me in this direction, we'll talk more about that next week. But a couple of other life lessons as I conclude today. Um, that I want to draw from this story about the people wandering in the wilderness, going in circles around Mount Seir for 40 years. That's terrible, right? Can you imagine you've come from the mountain of God? You have, you have seen and heard God speak on the mountain. There's been fire. You have been led everywhere by a pillar of cloud in the daytime and a pillar of fire at night. You come right to the edge of what God wants to give you. And then you say, well, that's too much work. That's scary. That's dangerous. Hey, that's dangerous. I should not have to put myself in danger. You should just give it to me, God. See, there's a lot of things I think that God wants you to have but you've got to believe enough that you're willing to do something about it. Amen? And that's going to require some work. It's going to require some courage. It's going to require you to get up off your blessed assurance and march out into the promised land and take those cities one by one. Amen? Life lessons. Life's not fair, but God is good. That's number one. Number two, God, is, God has good plans for those who believe in him. That's true for you. Did you know that? Wherever you are in your life, the kids who just went upstairs, okay, God has plans for them. In the future, of course, we always say that. But he has plans for them right now. God was working in their lives during uh, camp. And we all need to be thankful for Pastor Craig for going with them. 
We really do. As he said, um, uh, Beth really, you know, did the heavy lifting for the preparation for this. She was ready. She wanted to go. And it actually brought her to tears when she found out uh, that she tested positive. Liam, her son, was going to go as well, and she did not get to go. Well, it's a blessing because I knew I could just leave those kids with Pastor Craig, and I didn't have to worry about it. They're going to be taken care of. The other thing is, we had one girl in the group, and if it would have been somebody other than Pastor Craig, she wouldn't have been able to go, but it was his daughter, amen? So he probably knows how to keep track of her, all right? In any event, we're, we're very, very grateful for that. But God's got a plan for you, wherever you are in your life. You may be in the middle of your career, all right? And you may think that career is what it's all about. No, what it's all about is you becoming more like Jesus, amen? God has a plan for you at every juncture. You might be at the point where you've, you're ready to retire or you, you've already retired. God has plans for you there as well. Now, a lot of times we relate this, uh, this verse from Jeremiah 29, 11, which was made to Israel many, many years after the wilderness wandering. Uh, the, it, the Israelites went in, they took the land, they'd been in the land for many years, and then the Lord disciplined them again, and they ended up getting taken captive by the Babylonians. And during this time in Babylon, God wrote them a letter. And I think this letter to the captives is a letter that all of us can understand because they were going to be in Babylon for 70 years. Well, in Moses's Psalm, Psalm 90, he says that we live for 70 years or 80 if we have the strength. This is the lifetime here on the planet. So this letter can be related to our time here on earth and what God wants to say to us. So we're applying what God said to his people to ourselves. So you've probably heard verse 11, but I'm going to read um, verses 10 through 13. This is Jeremiah 29. For this is what Yahweh says, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you, that's his promise, to bring you back to this place, that is to bring them back to the land of promise. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. You know this, don't you? Plans for prosperity and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. God has good plans for you. Amen? Even if you're going through it right now, God has good plans for you. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. Wow. Have you ever had a time when you just pray and it feels like your prayer just kind of hits the ceiling and falls back down? That's when we need to focus on the word, not our feelings. Right? There are plenty of times. I, I, now that I've gotten old officially, um, I wake up in the middle of the night all the time. Anybody else do that? I used to be able to sleep through the night. That was my biggest blessing. Buddy, I could lay my head down and sleep for seven hours and boom, wake up fresh. No, 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 not anymore. Now I know I'm going to wake up in the middle of the night. It might be one. It might be, it's usually 1.30 or it's like 3.30. I don't know why that is. 1.30 or 3.30. So I have made friends with herbal tea, Right? It's called sleepy time tea. That's what it's called. And uh, yeah, and you know, so sometimes I'm like, okay, this is good. I'm awake and I can't go to sleep. And so sometimes, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor. I should pray. Yeah, that's, that's it. I should pray. But it's like, I'm so, you know, I just feel like I'm praying and the words are just falling back down. And I'm like, is this doing any good? 
Well, don't talk to yourself, talk to the Lord. When we look at verses like this, though, it assures us that in spite of how we feel, we feel angry, we feel hangry, we feel tired, okay? God listens. He said, you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you, verse 13, and you will seek me and find me. Do you ever seek God? Do you ever seek God? Like really want to get into his presence, you want him. You want to worship him. You want to praise him. You're not trying to pry something out of his hand or get him to get on your side and give you something. You really just want God. He said, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. See, that's what the Lord wants. He wants your heart. Amen. So God has good plans for his people, even when he's disciplining them. We already read that, right? He provides for his people, even while he's disciplining them. That was verse seven. We saw that already. Um, number four lesson, faith results in courageous action. I already mentioned this, um, and I quoted uh, James chapter two. Uh, James 2.17 says, faith without works is dead. Why don't you say that? Say it, faith without works, faith without works. is dead. So that's not real faith, is it, right? If I really believe, then I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna do something about it. It results in courageous action and hard work. That's what, gonna, what it will inspire you to be courageous. See, we're at a place now where our culture has become an antichrist culture. And so if you speak out and you speak about biblical values, you're inevitably gonna offend somebody, amen? In fact, you might not have thought uh, loving the, the, the alien and the stranger and the immigrant, even if they're illegal immigrants, is a biblical value. And so you didn't like what I had to say. That's okay. I'm right. That's, that's the Bible, right? You can come down on either side, right, of these issues, and it's going to make some people mad. I just made some people on the right mad. But don't worry. I make people on the left mad all the time, too. See, I think that if you just are consistently preaching the word, gosh, you're always going to have somebody mad at you over something. So stop worrying about it. Be courageous. Now, that doesn't mean be offensive or hateful, okay? Be loving, be kind, be courageous in speaking out, but speak the truth in love. That's what we need to do, right? And finally, number five, as I conclude, um, the opposite of faith that takes action, faith that works, is when you set your mind on what the scripture calls your flesh. Now, that's not your skin or your body. That's you without God, you without Jesus um, in control of you. So I'm going to read this final uh, few verses from uh, Romans chapter 8 that talks about the mindset of the flesh versus the mindset of the spirit. You see, if the people had just listened to God, then they would have gone in and begun to take the land. But they refused, they rejected, they accused God. And so God said, now you can't have the land. So what did they do? In their flesh, self-determination, I'm the captain of my ship. They're going to march in and take the land. And God said, don't, don't. I'm not with you. You're not going to succeed that way. If you are in the flesh, you can't please God and you can't succeed at doing what he wants you to do. This is what it says uh, in Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 verse 5. For those who are in accord with the flesh 
set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are in accord with the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. You see, the people, they were already hostile toward God, so now they're going to do what God told them that he wanted them to do, but they're hostile toward God, so God is not going to be with them because they're doing it for themselves. They're doing it for the wrong reason. It does not, that is the mind that is in the flesh, does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So what's the secret here, friends? The secret is to listen to the word and to believe. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Do you want to have faith that will result in courage and boldness, that will result in you having revelation? Are you wondering where God wants you to go next? I am, right? I'm still looking at what God wants us to do with our, our location for our church. I mean, they're, they're improving downtown. It's looking magnificent and amazing, but I'm still up in the air and praying and, and seeking and letting God say, okay, you know, what do you want us to do here, Lord? Okay, this may be you with your home situation or a relationship situation or, uh, you know, a major purchase in your life. You're thinking, what, what do you want me to do, God? Where do you want me to go? I need faith and I need revelation from God. I need God to show me. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna look at the word of God. I'm gonna let that inspire faith and I'm gonna follow as I am led, right? The scripture says that um, we receive a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet. Lord, you are a light to our path and a lamp to our feet. So God doesn't, just give you a map or a GPS and say, okay, here's where I want you to go the rest of your life. He shows you right out in front of you. This is where you're going to go. Okay, Lord, well, what about, you know, in two weeks? And God says, this is where I want you to go right now. And if you go where you're supposed to go right now, then everything's going to work out in two weeks and two months and two years and 20 years. Amen.